like we could almost go home right now. That was enough church, but no such luck for you. <laughs> All right, can we give them a hand again? I tell you what, that was fantastic. Oh. Well, welcome to Palm Sunday. I tell you what, there's just something special about this season. As we get closer and closer to Easter, the whole world is turning in to see what the Church of Christ, the church that's following after Christ is doing. And, uh, and so we celebrate Palm Sunday today. You know, I get a lot of questions from people uh, who ask me uh, what seminary is like. I'm getting ready to finish. I've got, uh, you know, just really just kind of trickling in. Michael thought I was done a year ago, so I guess he's finding out now that still a little bit left here, graduating in June. But uh, I travel out to Minnesota for anywhere from four to five weeks a year, and I spend some time with some guys. And I thought I'd really put together, I wanted to put together kind of a virtual tour of what my experience is really all about. If I could fit it into just a 45-second video, this is what it would be about. Watch this. Anywhere I go around the country, I really like to get my hands on what the locals like to eat. Now, up here in Minnesota, it's not fried pickles or carnitas. It's what they call stuffed burgers. And one of the best is at this joint, the Nook in St. Paul. Look at all that cheese gooing out of here. Gooing out. <laughs> uh, Molten and it's fantastic, and it's horribly messy. We call it the, the Holy Trinity of burgers. We have uh, fresh beef, right? fresh buns daily, fresh fries that we cut. So. Fresh, fresh, fresh. Oh, yeah. Cheese explosion. Mm. You know what I'll say I like about that? What's that? Everything. Cool. That is juicy. Dude, I'm telling you. That's a tasty burger. There it is, in a nutshell. That's my seminary experience. You heard it, the holy trinity of hamburgers. Uh, that's, that's really what I've been doing for the past five years. Thank you very much. Uh, my wife has now found me out. But uh, we're excited, I tell you what, I've got a bunch of guys that I've been walking alongside of for the past five years, and there's about, uh, about seven or eight of us, and every year we get so excited about this place called The Nook. We found it on Diners, Drives, and Drive-Ins and Dives, it's hard to say. Have you, anybody seen the show before, some of you? I tell you what, it's just good for your heart to watch it, isn't it? It's just good. You just know there's just goodness all about that show. I watch it, and it always comes on late at night, and you get so hungry, and I want to find that place. So we're out in Minnesota. One of us found it. I don't know. I'm, you know, watching the show, we had a little bulletin board. It told everybody, hey, we've got to go to this place and called the Nook. And so we set out. And for five years, at least once in February and once in J July, we talk about it. We think about it all year long. What are we going to get? Are we going to get the stuffed burger or the triple stack? You know, for some of those, it's just it's really, it's huge. It's horrible. But uh, so we exercise extra hard all year long so we can go to the Nook. Well, what's also part of the experience, as you can imagine, you put eight really strong leaders in two cars, and everybody's got their own idea of how to get there. So, you know, guys, of course, who never want to admit that they don't know how to get somewhere, we just kind of feel it out, you know, that's what we do. And so most of us get in the car and kind of feel out our way to the nook. We've, even after having been there 15 or so times, we still have no idea where we're going, but we're never going to admit it. Now, there, I, I decided about three years ago to bring my TomTom, -tom, my little GPS unit, with me just so, you know, just so I could sit in the back seat and make sure I actually knew where we were going. But there were guys who, you know, some of you women in this room, you know guys who argue with GPS. You know, any, 
There's some, yes, that's, it could be you. And then there are the guys who have their iPhone or their phone and the GPS just trying to see which way, you're, who's going to get you there fastest. And then in their mind, they're saying, I had a faster way all along. Well, that's what it's like with the eight of us in these two little rental cars that we get to. And I can remember it wasn't too long ago where one guy just finally got fed up with it. And we got in the car, I pulled out my GPS, and everybody's like, we're going down Snelling, then we're going to take a left over here. And he said, stop, enough, this is my car, these are my keys, we're going my way. And everybody just kind of went, okay. And uh, we got there, but my GPS sniffed a little bit. And then just said, he's going the wrong way. And... And that's the story of my seminary experience. Hamburgers and directions. Well, today is Palm Sunday, and it's a special day. And really, what we're going to be talking about this morning is something that is just true to all of us. It really has to do with this one word, this one word, happiness. You might use a lot of different words. You might use soul, might use soul satisfaction. Who knows what it might be? But there is this desire in all of us to find this word, to land in a place where we could say, we are happy. Well, what's the story of Palm Sunday? The story of Palm Sunday is that Jesus came riding into Jerusalem, not in a car, uh, not in a fantastic car like guy drives and diners drives and drive-ins and dives, but he rode in a donkey. And he came and as he rode into Jerusalem, there were people saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, which meant save me, save me. But every person yelling, praising even, had their own agenda their own specific goal in mind of what it was that they hoped that Jesus would save him from. Everyone was cheering, but they had their agenda. Hosanna, Hosanna, come and take care of me. Come and heal me. Come and deliver me. Come on in and overthrow the Romans. Come on and take back the temple. Come on and get rid of the foreigners. Come on in and rearrange the circumstances in my life in the way that I want them to be. Maybe sounds a little bit about like, like our lives today. Where we sometimes are, whether we've been walking with God for a long time or whether we're just starting to grasp the concepts of faith, it's still about our roles and our agenda and fitting this Jesus that we have learned about kind of into our lives. We say things like, Hosanna, if, if you do what we want you to do, we'll shout. We're glad to have you in the car, Jesus. Just remember, it's our car, it's our way, it's our life. You're welcome to be in the car, but that's the way it is. And while we might not say it in that blunt of a fashion, our lives often are living that kind of life. But today is about architecture, and it's about hamburgers in some way. And one of the things that really makes the Nook special is not just that they make hamburgers, because you can buy hamburgers anyway. It's anywhere. They're, it's the way they put them together. And for all of my vegetarian friends in the room, don't worry. It's not going to be entirely about meat today. But I will say that there is something special about the way the Nook puts their hamburgers together. There's something about the architecture of how they do it. But really today, it's not so much about hamburgers, it's about our lives. And so we're going to take a look at the architecture of our happiness. The one who designed us, the one who created us, the one who wrote the stories that, that we're going to be reading. The one whose life this is all about. And so today we look at the architecture of happiness. But there are three questions that I hope you're able to answer uh, at the end of today's message. And these are questions on our road to happiness. And the first is, who is the architect of your life right now? Who is the architect? Who is the designer of your life? The second question, what do you need to lay down in order to pick up something else, to pick something else up? 
Really, that's the story of Palm Sunday, isn't it? Even for those of us who maybe are just new to some of the stories of the Gospels, we know that, that, that people were, as Jesus was approaching Jerusalem, that they, people were laying down their cloaks and palms and all sorts of different things. And, and those different cloaks and, and palms and shrubbery meant different things to different individuals. But Jesus wasn't just asking for our stuff. He was asking for our lives. And so part of the question I want you to answer today is, what is something that you need to lay down in order to pick something else up? But this last question is the one that matters most. It's, what's your answer to the crowd's question? What's your answer to the crowd's question? And so we're going to look at the story of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem today. We're going to look at it in... In the Gospel of Matthew, interestingly enough, this particular story is found in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all found it particularly just so important. While each of them told kind of a different angle or perspective, they all told this account. Now, before we read the scripture, it's important that we also take a look at what happened just before this passage. In Matthew, we know that, first of all, as a, as a Hebrew, somebody who understood the scriptures, understood the way of the Hebrew, that he knew that there was something significant about prophecy. There was something specific about and important about Jesus and what he came to do, that he wasn't just a prophet, wasn't just a good person, even wasn't just a miracle worker, but that he was indeed the one who was fulfilling all the prophecies throughout the Old Testament about the Messiah. And so just before, uh, just before we pick up this passage in chapter 21, we find this Jesus, who everyone was expecting at this point in time to come and to overthrow a government, to return Israel to the days of yore, and to, to right all of the wrongs of the past, probably in some sort of uh, war-like fashion. But Matthew knew that that was not the Jesus that he was worshiping. That was not the Jesus that he was writing about here in the first century. Jesus was entirely different. In fact, he was about peace, about hope. And even the fact that he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and not a giant, uh, you know, several animals or being carried on the shoulders of individuals like a champion just coming fresh from battle. The fact that he chose this method says something about his kingdom. Matthew loved to throw twists all throughout his gospel. Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7, we read that everything that you thought God was about, he's the opposite. You thought he was about hierarchy and, and importance. But if you want to be a leader in the kingdom of God, you've got to be willing to serve. You've got to be willing to lower yourself. That's just one example. And so as he prepares to tell this story of Jesus' triumphal entry, right before this, we see that he heals two individuals. And so there's a whole crowd that's been following Jesus leading up to this point, and the crowd was just working themselves up into a frenzy, and every, everything was exciting, and they were ready to move towards Jerusalem. And this is where our story turns. Matthew chapter 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and... And, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them. And he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your kingdom comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey on a colt, 
the foal of a donkey. This is not what the nation of Israel was looking for. This did not meet their agenda. This was not the Messiah that they had thought was going to come, in spite of all the prophecy that Jesus was now fulfilling. Matthew was saying, one more reminder, guys, this is Jesus. This is who he is. This is the Messiah. So the disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They, bought the, they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, the road, and while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, an Aramaic word, which meant save me, save us. It became just a, a, a product of praise, but at its root it meant save us. They didn't even know what they were saying. Save us from what? They thought they had it figured out. But the architect had an entire, entirely different plan in mind. So when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. It was a frenzy. It was incredible. People were just excited, didn't know what was happening, but they knew that something was going on and they wanted to be a part of it. This miracle worker who had just healed two people not just moments ago is now riding into Jerusalem. Even though it's on a donkey, there is something special about this guy. And they asked this question, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And so that's the story, the story of Palm Sunday, that this Jesus, this prophet, was now coming into the last week of his life. Something was about to give. And so we, from this story, find a few questions in finding the architecture of happiness that I want to share with you today. The first question is, Who's the architect of your life right now? Who's the architect? Who's the one that's really just driving the plans and goals in your future in your life right now? You know, we've all been in situations in work or maybe in a volunteer situation. I hate to think that it would ever happen at a church. But where we know who is the boss, and then we know who's the boss. We know who is at our jobs, perhaps the ones that, that really get stuff done. The ones that really, you know, we have to go to in order to really make things happen. Do you know people like that in your life? The, the true bosses. The ones who are really designing the blueprints for what's going on. That's really the question that the architect asks us first. Who is the architect of your life right now? And in a book uh, by John Burke called Soul Revolution, he writes this about architecture. He says that God wants to meet our deepest needs, but early in life we get wired to meet our needs without God. It never works. We think our fulfillment strategies will bring life, but they usually destroy the life we desire. Our deepest longings are good, but just as thirst points us toward water, our deepest longings Point us towards something who can actually satisfy our thirsty souls. Do you know what it's like to be thirsty? Maybe you're thirsty right now. Maybe, and I'm not just talking about thirst. I'm talking about your life. Your life being thirsty. Knowing that there's just 
got to be something more than what's happening right now. There's got to be something more than the way I'm existing. In fact, some of you who are in a relationship with God right now, maybe you're sitting in these seats and you're thinking, is this all there is? Is it just about coming to church and, and going to an to a, to a A2 experience or being in a small group? Is this all there is? Because I've got to think that there's something more. And you're left sitting here today saying, oh, I just want to be happy. And maybe happy isn't the word you'd use. Maybe it's content. Maybe it's satisfied. I don't know. But for me, it's happy. I want to be happy. And I think if we're honest, all of us want to be happy. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be happy. But our happiness starts with asking the right questions. And one way John Burke says to uncover your current blueprint for life is to fill in these blanks. If only blank. If only I had this, if only this were settled, if only I could fix this, if only God could forgive what I've done in the past, if only, what's your fill in the blank? Oh. Or maybe he says it like this, or if I just blank, then I'll have the life I always wanted. What is your happiness contingent upon right now? What is it that you think that, well, if I can just fix this, then, oh, happiness. Maybe it's a timeline. If I can just get beyond this, I can, you know, for me, I've been thinking about June 2010 for five years. My wife has been thinking about June 2010 for five years. My kids, one of them at least, for five years. For as long as Luke's been alive, he's in some way been thinking about June 2010. And if I'm not careful, if I'm honest with you today, there are times throughout the past five years where my happiness has been entirely contingent upon, I will be happy when I'm done with this. What does it look like for you? What's maybe that timeline or event or that thing or that fill in the blank? But I believe that the architect of our lives says that there's something more. But who's the real architect, the real boss? Second question, what is it that you need to lay down in order to pick up something else, to pick something else up? What is it that, that you need to let go of in order to really experience all that God has for you? That's the story of Palm Sunday. Because it didn't cost much for the, uh, the individuals who were in the crowd before and behind Jesus to throw their cloaks and their landscaping at his feet. It really didn't cost much. In fact, most everybody was just caught up in the, the, the whir and the frenzy and all that was happening. In fact, it says in Scripture that, that the, the walls even were reverberating. That there was just like a pulsing in Jerusalem when Jesus was coming in. Because there were so many people shouting. So many things happening. And so it was easy just to take this cloak off and throw it at the feet of Jesus. But maybe for some of us here today... When we think about the relationship that we have with God today, we're willing to say, you know what, Jesus, I'll throw this at your feet. I'll lay this. And maybe for someone else, boy, was that costly. But for you, you know the truth. See, Jesus has never been about our stuff, although he wants our stuff in some way. He's always been about one thing, and that's heart. He wants our heart. 
And part of what was missing in this story, part of what was missing from the crowd is that they were getting, I'll throw my stuff at you. But Jesus was saying, but I want your heart. Where's your heart today? Who has your heart? C.S. Lewis writes this from The Weight of Glory. He says that we're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and personal ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like a child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. C.S. Lewis gets this, that, there's, that so often it's our tendency to see and to latch on to what we can hold on to. We can't imagine that something could be better than what it is right now. And, you know, having been to Nicaragua many, many times, I know something about children playing in the mud. I know something about children who are in the slums that just can't potentially see. They can't see that life could be any better because this is all they know. And I remember one particular time taking a group of kids to the beach, one of the most beautiful places that I've ever been in my life. And just over a ridge, I knew there was this incredible ocean that I couldn't wait for my eyes to see. But I was stuck, I say, playing with a group of, of kids who just were having fun playing Foursquare and having and just having fun making some mud pies in the, in the sand and the dirt. And I was trying to convince them, look, just on the other side of this ridge, there is this place that's going to blow your mind. And they, they were just happy right here. Now, C.S. Lewis is not making a statement about contentment. It's not being, it's not as Paul talks about in Philippians 4, about being okay with where we are. Because if we're okay and content that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. No, this is about being stuck in our reality today. It's about the inability to see what's on the other side of that ridge, knowing that there is something amazing for us. But it begins with being willing to lay down what it is that we're holding onto right now in the hopes and faith that something on the other side is going to provide the happiness that Jesus promises us through Scripture. See, what was it that the crowd struggled with? What did they want? The best they could possibly imagine was overthrowing the Roman government, restoring what was rightfully theirs. And while they were throwing down these superficial cloaks in Jesus' path, it says this in, in the account of Luke. What Luke wrote in his gospel, it says that Jesus wept as he was triumphantly marching into Jerusalem. Why did he weep? Well, I think that one of the reasons that he wept is that everyone was throwing down the wrong stuff. Because he knew in their hearts they were holding on to what he really wanted, was, which was their lives. And so the question is, what do you need to lay down in order to pick something else up? If you were really honest, what's the one thing in your life that just seems too big to lay at his feet? Maybe write it down. What is it? But the architect has something in mind. Here's the last question, and I think it's the most important question, the one that matters more than any other, and it's simply this. What is your answer to the crowd's question? What's your answer to the crowd's question? So we read in verse 10, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole 
city was stirred. It was like this giant marching band. It was, everyone was shouting the same thing. Hosanna, 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 save me. Save me from what I want. Save me from, from the way I want to be saved. And then they asked, who is this? These people who had been walking with Jesus, maybe for, for three years, who had seen him perform miracle after miracle, who had freed the demon-possessed, who had, who had restored sight to the blind, who had raised the dead, who had said, I will forgive sins. Who is this Jesus? They're asking this now. He's even said, I am the Son of God, but yet they still, even at this point, one week, before one of the greatest stories that was ever told, the greatest story that was ever told, unfolds. They ask, who is this? And their answer, this is Jesus. Oh, they're so close. Here we go. The prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So close. Yes, that's true. He was a prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. But boy, was he so much more. And so the question that I ask you today, that we want you to wrestle with, not just today as you move towards Easter, but the most important question that you'll ever answer is, who is Jesus? In one of his most famous quotes, C.S. Lewis in the book Mere Christianity writes this, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that, I'm often, that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a moral, a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. And that is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with, with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. What's C.S. Lewis saying? It's not enough to say Jesus is a prophet, a great teacher from Nazareth. Those things are true. But to really accept Jesus for who he is, and to experience the true architecture of happiness that our lives were designed and built to live under, there's only way, one way that we can approach him, and that's as the Son of God. The truth is, Palm Sunday is really about one message. It's about surrender. One simple word, surrender. It's about laying my plans, my brokenness, in the path of the only one with the ability to change us, to offer us genuine hope, to offer us a new life and a fresh start. He's the only one. And so here are a few options that I see, in fact, really only three, as we approach the architect. The first option is no surrender. God, my car, my life, my keys, my way. I want nothing to do with you, and I, I'll, live the way I, I'll live the way I want to live. You stay out of my life. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm headed in another direction. Here's the miracle of faith in Christ and who Jesus is, is that He'll allow that to happen. He'll allow us to, to choose him. And all the while, he's waiting and asking and, and, and urging us to choose him. 
But that first option is still available. No surrender. The second is partial surrender. I'll keep this area, this pattern, this relationship under my control. I will hold on to this grudge. I will enjoy the pleasure I get from this habit. I will retain this secrecy I get from this hiddenness. I know, God, that you want full surrender. But I don't trust you. And I've been there. In fact, sometimes I wrestle with, am I there right now? God, what am I holding on to right now? Because I just don't think you're big enough to handle this. And it sounds silly even coming out of my mouth. But how often do we live in that moment? And still there's this partial surrender. But here's the last. And this is what I believe the architect is just urging and wants so desperately when he was Jesus when he was marching into Jerusalem as he wept I believe even having this day in his mind it was total surrender that he wanted not just our stuff not just our landscaping not just our garments total surrender says I'll turn my life and my will God over to you and I know there's a cost I will do that it's not easy. It's not, it's not uh, something that, that should happen apart from head and heart. But it's the only way to truly experience the happiness our lives were created to live under. That's the truth. That's the truth of Palm Sunday. His name was uh, Raymond Castano. In fact, his name is Raymond Castano. And Ray is a, a full-time carpenter. And he lives in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and he's also a part-time music director at a small, small church, less than 100-person church uh, in Cape Cod. He's a full-time Red Sox fan, and he's a part-time Patriots fan. He's got a thick Boston accent that's enough to send even the sometimeiest enough Yankees fan running. But Ray is also just one of my closest friends on this planet and I see him twice a year and part of my heart hurts at the thought as school comes to an end that I'm not going to see him as regularly because as I think back over the past five years of my life and I think about how I've weathered transitions about how children have uh, have grown and how we started with just barely one and now we've got three Ray has been one of the constants in my life and he's one of those guys maybe you have one in your life that's like this that you just can't wait to be around because when you're around him, you feel better about yourself. But it's not because he tells you what you want to hear. He tells you the truth. Raise a man of God. He's a great husband and he's a great father of two sweet little girls. In one of our many trips to the nook, we were sitting out uh, in the parking lot outside of the sign that you saw. And I remember just sitting in the car, just he and I, and I was just lost. This was about three years ago. And I remember just telling him all the things that was going on in my life and how I was feeling inadequate and how I was feeling like I just wasn't measuring up as a husband, as a father. I wasn't present enough. I needed to do more. And, and, and talked about all of the challenges I was going through with my calling and just feeling lost. And I said to him, Ray, I'm just unhappy. And he listened, and he said, Adam, I don't have much to offer you. I don't have any great advice or great um, quotes or books to tell you to read, but I can tell you this. This is my reflection when I hear your story. 
He said, I get all of the stuff that's going on, but it just seems like to me that your Jesus is just way too small. It's just way too small because he said, the Jesus that I know and the Jesus I've seen work in your life is bigger than anything that you have going on right now and is the one that's not only walking with you, but in some instances carrying you. He's the one that's designed your life, has your calling mapped out. You are just laying down the wrong stuff. You're worrying about you and your needs and your stuff and you're laying down what's convenient. But no, what is God saying? It's your heart that he wants and over and over again, that's what he wants, your heart. It's good to have friends like Ray, isn't it? It's good to have friends that remind us of what the true architecture of happiness looks like. That's the story of Palm Sunday. That day, the ancient Israelites always whispered in their tents about, at night about that day. Young boys and girls exchanged stories. Their parents told them about that day. Old leathered men would slowly stroke their beards, wondering if that day would come before their own days would come to an end. For generation upon generation, the Hebrews had been waiting for that day the blessed day when he would come, the anointed one, that is, on that day. The I am's saving presence would come in person as the one who was special, who was anointed, the one to save, the one to heal, the one to suffer. But when? They waited for the promised anointed one or Messiah as their language spoke it. They knew he would come. The only question was when? Through beatings and slavery, they waited. In prison camps far from, far from their destroyed homes, they waited. Even while prospering in times of victory, they waited. And then one day, in a dirty barn, he came. The nation erupted. He had come. The intricate prophecies were exactly fulfilled. The cosmos changed forever. The Messiah, he had finally come. It was just as it had always been promised. It was first century Israel, and the man who caused all the commotion was none other than Jesus himself. So the questions I remind you and leave you with today, who is the architect of your life right now? What do you need to lay down in order to pick something else up? But most importantly, Most importantly, what is your answer to the crowd's question? Because your happiness is hanging in the balance. Pray with me. Jesus, we want happiness, and we want hope, and we want purpose, and we want fulfillment, but so often we want it the way we want it. We want to build our hamburgers and and our lives in a way that just meets our needs, but somehow you have a different plan. And if we could just grab hold of what it is that you want for us, if we would just lay our pithy, temporary plans at your feet, God, we know through your story that you want to give us so much more real, genuine, 
I pray today that my friends would wrestle with this question, who are you? Whether we've been walking with you for years or whether we've yet to make that decision and cross the line of faith. If you are anything but the Son of God, Lord, would you challenge us? Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this week. Change us once again in the name of Jesus.